Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I listened to Pastor Mike's sermon online last week, and he did a marvelous job. His sermon was excellent, always. He does such a nice job from the pulpit. And he, he went back and spoke of songs from the 90s and the early 2000s, which was his thing. And, and he kind of stole one of my openings from my sermon that I wanted to use, and so I had to dig a little deeper and get a little more creative. And I knew that the crowd this morning would be you know, a little more seasoned musically than what Pastor Mike's crew would be. And and so I went back to Flagstaff, Arizona, where I grew up. My Uncle Bob, who was a marketing guy for Gould National Battery, liked to give his nephews, my brother and I, tech stuff. And the height of tech stuff in about 1977 was a Panasonic transistor radio. With that, all the doors of musical creativity were open to me and my father would drive us through Flagstaff to get groceries or do whatever we did he was always in charge of the radio and it was talk radio or country or whatever but when I had my little radio under the sheets listening to KEOS the sound of northern Arizona and maybe on those rare nights we could get the mighty 640 KFI from Southern California we could listen to music we could listen to people like Barry Manilow sing love songs BJ Thomas Jim Croce Bread and James Taylor We could find out and tune in to the 70s pop culture of bell-bottom jeans, velour shirts, gold chains, guitars, drums, long hair, all geared around a theme of love. Somehow, if you loved somebody or somebody loved you with this deep, rich, romantic love, if you had this feeling, then everything inside of your heart, everything inside of your brain, everything inside of you would be happy and joyful and self-actualized in every way. If you had that feeling of love, you had everything. And it seemed like every song had that as its main theme. One of my favorite songs of that era made even more popular now in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy was by a one-hit wonder band called Blue Swede. And the name of the song was Hooked on a Feeling. And the chorus goes like this. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing that you're in love with It takes me back to 7th and 8th grade and the insecurities of being a young person. Putting a piece of paper out to a friend that says, give this to Cindy. Check yes if you like me. Check no if you don't. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing that you're in love with me. Feelings equal love. If you feel it, you must love it. It's easy to have that kind of love, and we can love French fries in the same way we love our spouse, our child, or grandchild. If feelings equal love, then love is transient, moves from person to person, object to object, season to season, based on urges, based on what the eye sees, based on what the ear hears. But that kind of love is not what John is speaking of in our text today. 
The kind of love that's merely a feeling has zero power to connect over the long haul to people in deep and meaningful relationships. It's not a richness. It doesn't provide a deep enough wealth of what the heart needs. Yet in our culture, we've convinced ourselves that that's exactly what love is all about, that love is a feeling. And if you have that feeling, you're great. And that feeling bops from thing to thing and person to person. And that relationships become somewhat disposable. When I don't feel like I love that person anymore, then I can remove them from my mind's eye and my proximity and find somebody else. And that deep, rich, heart-sealing, life-binding love, it's hard to experience. But it's more than just a little buzz more than just a little feeling. One more little piece, though. Our, our culture has said that as long as you love and you have that feeling, that that, that that feeling is just enough. If we have enough pain for people in the urban centers of Southern California and we can write a tweet or put up a Facebook meme or write or forward an email to somebody, then, then we've done something grand. We've some done something that initiates or engages the feelings of another person without really changing anything in us or in them, without really doing anything. And while we've done our little bit of digital this and our little bit of empathetic that, children are unloved, people have issues with food security, education systems are abysmal, and life in parts of the city are horrible and dangerous. But because we get hooked on a feeling, somehow believing that if we feel it, we've done our part. That type of empathy speaks a lot, almost never listens to anybody else, and loves very little. Love is more than a feeling. That's where John leads us to today. In our text from 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. The love that God has for all of humanity, for you and me, is a love that is actively engaged in our lives. It would have been simple on God's part to simply come down to the world, touch everybody on the forehead, give us a a little bit of empathetic understanding, and then say, I love you, it's great. But humanity needs a little bit more than that. We needed a Jesus, we needed a Savior who's engaged in the world, in the hearts and lives of people. It would have been simple on Jesus' part to just walk by sick people, to just walk by hurting people, to just walk by people who needed what he had. The Gospel of John leads us so many times to a Jesus who reached out a a loving, touchy-feely hand to a leper or a person afflicted with a disease to engage not just empathetically but in a transformational way into the hearts and lives of those who are afflicted with evil and evil spirits. Jesus did more than just feel or empathize. He reached into the lives and brought healing to those who needed Him most. When people needed a hopeful word, Jesus was there in the home 
of Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus, not offering pious platitudes, but engaging in the emotions, the feelings of life and death, proclaiming a bigger kingdom, a bigger vision, a bigger community, and a bigger love that God would engage through His Son into humanity's daily stuff. When humanity needed a Savior, God sent His Son. Jesus didn't sit in heaven and say, boy, I really feel bad for what's going on. This is, must really be hard. Life must really be difficult. I really feel badly. Rather, perhaps John's most famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God's love for you shown through the action of His Son, Jesus Christ. How do we know that God's love is real, that it's more than a feeling? We look to the cross of Christ. We look to Jesus, who loved us enough to go all the way to death, even death on a cross. You are loved so deeply and so dearly that Jesus would pour Himself out completely for you. And in that death, we have oneness and closeness with God. Anything that would have kept God from us is dead at the cross. God wakes up at peace with you and me every day. The seal of that is the seal of Jesus on the cross. Jesus risen from the dead. You are loved because He engaged for you and gave Himself for you. We are loved. We are not alone. We are loved of God. We are God's beloved. In our house, we're experiencing a different kind of love these days. We've got grandchild love going on. Perhaps the greatest, richest form of love God ever created is grandparent love. It's the unconditional love that a, that a grandchild brings. Yesterday in our house, we kind of competed to see who could hang out with the baby the most. It's amazing how the feelings are in that. It's, a, it's just a whole different thing to, to hold that little grandchild than it is to hold my own kids, which is bizarre. I was responsible for feeding my grand, for my children. I was responsible for making sure they were safe, making sure they were sound, making sure they were to the doctor and back in shots and all of those things. But my grandson, all my wife and I are responsible for is loving him, which is very, very liberating. We wait in line to give him the bottle. We bend over backwards to get on the floor and blow bubbles and hang out and coo and talk and go baba, wawa, goo goo with him. And when he smiles, when that little guy smiles, it just melts everything inside of my wife and I in our hearts. We want him to know, even at 11 weeks old, how dearly he is loved, how deeply attached he will be in family. And in that engagement to feel a sense of security and a sense of comfortability could just let him sit on the floor and cry 
but we almost literally shove one another out of the way to grab him, hold him, comfort him, and engage him. And the joy of being a grandparent is then when he cried at 2.30 last night, my son had to grab him. We're willing to go pretty far for that little grandbaby, even to the point of having slumber parties in our house. Old people like Barb and I, we like our sleep, we like to go to bed early and wake up early. We're willing to purchase and do things that we would have never done for our own children, quite frankly, because we love this little guy. We're willing to go a long ways because we love How far are you willing to go in your walk with Jesus Christ? What are you willing to do if the love that John speaks of is about giving and sacrifice? What are you willing to give and what are you willing to sacrifice in a culture that thinks once we have felt something and empathized that then the work is done? The people of Jesus, the people of God are called is, is, is deeper and, and more engaging and more life transformation than just feeling something for a moment. At the close of the 20th century, the, the Western church, the American church, was measured by the big show, the loud anthems, the top praise songs, the social media hits, the tweets, all of the things that you can measure and, and count, all kind of focused on the show and the self. Preachers measured by how big the audiences were rather than the content of the gospel and the message they were called to proclaim. So much of that religion based on the self. Personal taste, personal likes, the bigness that Western Civ likes, and maybe a cursory dabbling in a love that engages someone besides myself. One day this season will be over. One day the COVID-19 pandemic will be a paragraph in a history book. It will be a blip on a timeline. And it will be something that we will hold on to and come back to when our children and grandchildren say, boy, that was really tough what I'm going through. And we'll say, let me tell you about the months our church was closed. But there's something working. There's something working in the church. There's something working in the body of Christ right now. Something that's more loving. Something that's more sacrificial. Something that just isn't about cheap talk. Something that's about doing. Something that's about engaging. Something that's making an impact in the hearts and lives of people. Church is not only looking to feel love, but to engage in loving actions. And they're finding good traction. They're finding goodwill in their communities and a deep and rich sense of meaning. Our own congregation has broken the ice on that. But we have a ways to go to transform the culture of our congregation and our neighborhood. And perhaps the first best piece is for us to look to Jesus and to look at his engagement and his love for us and mirror that love to others in our homes 
in our families, in our work relationships, to be people who have a feeling for sure, but beyond that, find meaningful ways to connect, to make the lives of other people better. Dear friends, John writes, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Marvelous words to hold in our heart. People are feeling isolated and struggling. And we have the message of a God who engages. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.